you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to Paul's letter to the Galatian church. We are here in chapter 6, where we'll continue from where we were last week. As we go to God's Word, let's go to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts before You. As we come before Your Word, may Your Word be like the sun sending forth both light and heat. May we be illuminated in our understanding of who you are and what duty you require of us, as well as be warmed in our affections for you, the one true and living God. Father, so speak to us by your spirit through your written word that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind and become more and more conformed to the image of your incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We are rapidly moving toward the conclusion of Galatians. I believe next week will be 11 through 18, and then we'll follow that up with kind of Galatians from beginning to end. Remember, this is a six-chapter letter, three parts, autobiography, theology, ethics. Galatians is about the gospel, and if all of Galatians is about the gospel... Then chapters 5 and 6 are about the practical implications of the gospel. It's important to distinguish but not separate the gospel from the implications of the gospel. Here in Galatians, we see how the gospel of grace leads to true freedom and how true freedom leads to godly living. Remember, it's a freedom from being slaves to being children. It's a freedom from the condemnation of the law and freedom to serve. On that freedom road, there are two ditches, of course. On one hand, legalism, and on the other hand, license, where God's law is not rightly understood and put into practice. But not only is there freedom, we mentioned that that freedom leads to godly living. But it's important to note that this godly living takes place in the midst of a war, a conflict, a battle between the flesh, what we are by natural birth, and the spirit, what we are and what we are becoming by the new birth. Last week, as we considered the first six verses of chapter six, we saw what spiritual people do. They gently restore one another from sin. They strongly bear one another's burdens. They honestly consider who they are. And they eagerly share with one another. Or put differently, this is who spiritual people are. They are sin-restoring, burden-bearing, honest-sharing people. And the evidence, as we saw last week, of the true spiritual life is not some sort of private mystical experience, but rather the experience of a practical relationship of love that takes place in the community of God's people. This week, verses 7 through 10, Paul is going to return to the topic of law. Now, we've heard quite a bit about law so far in Galatians, but this will not be about a law along the lines of what Paul has been discussing thus far when it comes to the relationship of the Christian to God's law. No, this will be about the unmutable, unchanging, 
absolute principles of life, fixed laws, as it were, of nature. Join with me as I read verses 7 through 10. Let me actually start with verse 6 as it's kind of a transition verse. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's look at the first law. I believe there's an outline in your bulletin. The first law, whatever you sow, you will reap. Verses 7 and 8. Now, before we get into that law, there is a general warning. And in one sense, you could think of all of Galatians as a warning. And let me remind us, warnings are not bad things. By being warned, often our lives are spared. Warnings are good things. And here is a, a, a final appeal, an admonition to resist false teachers and to hold on to the gospel. Because that's why Paul has been writing this letter. False teachers had infiltrated that church and were teaching that it wasn't just Christ alone that was needed for salvation. It was Christ plus something else. And Paul was battling that because he saw it as a clear and present danger to the gospel. It was a clear and present danger to their lives. It's a warning. Do not be deceived. As verse 7 begins. Earlier in chapter 3, Paul speaks of the Galatians being bewitched. Earlier in chapter um, Uh, uh, 6, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. There's a connection here. Uh, Teachers and the ones taught are in fellowship. Teachers either teach truth or they teach falsehood. And if they present the false as true as the false teachers, the Judaizers are doing, then they deceive. This Jesus plus is a deception of the gospel. And then he goes on. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In the original language, the understanding of this word mocked is is to turn the nose up at. In other words, you, you can't turn your nose up at God. Now, indeed, some have done that. Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 turned his nose up at God and God's people. His story didn't end up so good for him. Or how about King Herod as we read in Acts chapter 12 about people giving glory to God. Herod did not turn around and give glory to God for that and his life was taken. Indeed, some have 
turned up their nose at God, mocked God, but not without consequence. Because it's impossible to get away with mocking God. You may fool yourselves, you may fool others for a time, but you will not be able to fool God. He sees all, he knows all. I'm so thankful for our children's catechism, the first catechism. I love the shorter catechism, the larger catechism, the confession of faith, but sometimes even I have to go to the first catechism. Question 11, can you see God? No, I cannot see God, but he always sees me. I think adults, we need to think about that too. Not just for children. Question 12, does God know all things? Great question to ask. Yes, nothing can be hidden from God. Many of our children have already memorized this. I think we all I need to remember this. So Paul's warning here consists of a command, do not be deceived, and a statement, God is not mocked. And this sets the stage for him now to turn to the world of agriculture, where he will discuss two laws related to sowing and reaping. Here Paul brings in a metaphor, a visual image, a figure of speech, an implied comparison that's not using like or as, but nonetheless it's put there to help you understand. Agriculture, one of the most familiar experiences in human history, the process of sowing and reaping. In farming or in gardening, It's an absolute principle. It's a fixed law of nature. It's an absolute principle of order and consistency. Remember the promise to Noah. Genesis 8, 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. It's an ongoing sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Earlier, Paul had made the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. Paul also um, now moves from the battlefield to the farmer's field. Because he's going to go from the physical to the spiritual. And he's moving again from the battlefield to the farmer's field. And even though it's going from the battle to the farm, it's still flesh versus spirit. This principle or fixed law is a law with two aspects. It's a coin with two sides. Aspect one, as we see for in, um, in uh, verse uh, seven, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Whatever is the emphasis. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. Children, if you sow tomato seeds, what will you get? Will you get corn? Come on, help me out. No, what will you get? Tomatoes, right. What you sow, you will reap. Aspect two is whatever you sow, you will also reap. It means that though it may lie in the ground with no noticeable effect for a very long time, it will come up. You guys who are gardeners, who are farmers, you know it. You plant this type of seed, you will get this type of crop. You plant this seed, and even though it looks dormant and nothing is happening, 
Assuming the right water and temperature and all of that, you will eventually see. It will come up. He goes on as we read in verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. To sow to your own flesh. Well, what does this mean? It means, as we've been seeing earlier, it means to cuddle and stroke the flesh instead of crucifying it, putting it to death. It is a fixation of the present life without a regard to the future life. Now, in the context of the letter to the Galatians, especially chapter 5, verses 16 through 8, the flesh, in the words of one commentator, is especially the part of our fallen nature that wants to keep control of our lives by being our own Savior and Lord, and which resists the gospel of free grace and seeks continually to earn its own righteousness. That's what Paul was battling in the false teachers. Folks who, however, subtly, nonetheless, could not rest in Christ alone for salvation. They were resting in something in addition to Jesus. So how how do we sow to our own flesh? We sow to the flesh when we either disobey God or we may, as it were, obey the letter of the law out of a desire to be our own Savior our own Lord. Again, sowing to our own flesh is having to do with the gospel and the gospel that Paul has received and the gospel that Paul has proclaimed. And what will happen? We will reap corruption. Corruption. What does this mean? It suggests a gradual decay, a breakdown, a destruction, a disintegration. In other words, what does sin do? It causes things to fall apart. But there's not just the flesh, there's the spirit. Look how the verse continues. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. To sow to the Spirit, what does that mean? Well, let's look at Galatians itself. It's the same as to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. It's following the Spirit's lead, obeying His instructions for holy living. It is living for God's pleasure and not our own. It is living for Christ in every area of life. Well, how do we sow to the Spirit? Earlier we asked the question, how do we sow to the Spirit? To the flesh. How do we sow to the Spirit? Again, this one commentator we sow to the Spirit when we obey God out of a grateful joy that comes from a high consciousness of our status as children of God. Remember, Paul is emphasizing you're no longer slaves, you're children. And in view of that new status, you gladly obey, you gladly desire to do that which pleases the one who has rescued you. And notice, the one who sows to the Spirit does not reap corruption. No, will reap eternal life. Well, what does this mean? In the context, it means the blessing of eternal life. It's not the life that is merely life that lasts eternally. It's rather God's very own life. The life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit graciously bestowed upon the children of God through faith in the Redeemer. Eternal life is the present 
possession of everyone who truly trusts in Christ as Lord and Savior. Remember when Jesus himself in John 17, 3 defines eternal life as this, that you would know the only true God and Jesus Christ who you have sent. So in other words, eternal life is just not there and then, it's also here and now in a restored relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Now let's, before we move on, let's make some more general comments about sowing and reaping. Remember, whatever you sow, you will reap. Sin always bears destruction. It never bears joy, true and lasting joy. Pleasure for a time, yes. Scripture makes that clear. But not true and lasting joy. Not pleasure that pleases God, that ultimately does you any good. It's always destructive. Sin always comes home to roost. Consequences cannot be held at bay forever. It's not the reaping that determines the harvest. No, it is the sowing. Sowing and reaping. It's a vital but neglected part of the process of holiness. We are not helpless victims of our nature, temperament, environment. What we become largely depends on the choices we make. Our character shapes our conduct and our conduct shapes our character. Everybody is familiar probably with the old adage, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Paul in Romans chapter 5 said something similar, that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There's a sowing and a reaping. Now, it's important to keep in mind that salvation does not come by works. We're in Galatians of all places. It does not. Eternal life is a gift received by believing, not doing. But you know what, my friends? Believers are doers. That's what we're seeing here. But this principle of sowing and reaping needs to be handled with great care. Think about Job and what we know versus what his friends knew. Think about Jesus when being asked, who sinned that this man was born blind? And what was Jesus' response? Not this man nor his parents, but it was done to display God's glory. This principle needs to be handled with care. So this is the first law. Whatever you sow, flesh, spirit, you will reap. Now let's look at the second law. Law number two. There is always a delay between sowing and reaping. In the first law, there was a warning especially seen in the one who sows to his own flesh. Well, here in this second law, there's an encouragement. Just as, the, as sin eventually comes up, so righteous actions eventually come up as well. Look with me as I read verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, 
For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let me stop there. Doing good. Notice in verse 9, it is assumed, okay? But as we go into verse 10, here it is. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In 9, it was assumed, and in 10, it is commanded. Here again, the logic of the gospel. What we are to do comes after what God has done. What God has done leads to what we are to do. You see, the gospel of justification by faith alone that's at the heart of Galatians, it leads to doing good. It's not by accident that chapters 5 and 6 are in Galatians. It's not an accident that chapters 4 through 6 is in Ephesians. It's not an accident that chapters 12 through 16 is in Romans. Because all theology is practical theology. It's a freedom to serve, a freedom to love. And remember here the outworkings of the Spirit's activity in the life of believer. What? Neighbors to love, sinners to restore, burdens to bear. It's not just doing our duty, but it's performing acts of kindness. Did you all listen to uh, Leviticus chapter, what, 19, 1 through 18? Think about all the kindnesses that were to be done to the poor and the needy and the sojourner and the neighbor. Kindness. While we wait, we do good. One of the most sobering passages in Scripture has to be in Matthew 25. Uh, Jesus speaks of the separation of the sheep and the goats. And in that are six acts of charity, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, showing hospitality to the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, visiting the prisoner, loving your neighbor as yourself. This shows, in many ways, what the Christian life is all about. It's not meetings and programs. We don't use people for our good. We are called to serve people for their good. Verse 9 again, And let us not grow weary of doing good. I couldn't help, as I read those words, I thought about Reverend Carey's sermon from a couple of weeks ago. What sustaining grace for weary souls. If you're out there doing good, you're going to be tired and weary. And here's the command, don't be weary. It's hard work. It's easy to slack off, but don't give up. Keep going. In this day and age of instant gratification, it is hard to wait for things to grow. Some of you may have grown up on farms. Some of you may be farmers now, whether a small garden variety or a larger type of farmer. And what does the farmer have that many of us lack? Besides hard work and trust in God to make things grow, patience, right? Patience. 
James chapter 5, we read this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Paul is not the only one who goes to the farmer. James goes to the farmer. Jesus, in several places, goes to the farmer. The 18th century Scottish pastor and theologian John Brown of Haddington says this, quote, Christians frequently act like children in reference to the harvest. They would sow and reap in the same day. My friends here at Grace and Peace, do not evaluate your personal ministry and do not evaluate the ministry of this church on the basis of immediate, instant results. If we did, this church would have been shut down a long time ago. If we did, some of you may have been very close to calling it quits personally when it comes to your relationship and walk with the Lord. The world says that you can order from Amazon and two hours get it at your doorstep. God's word says you order something through prayer and perseverance and you open the door, it's not there. You open the door again, it's not there. You know what? You keep praying. You keep persevering. One day, and Paul is making this very clear as we will see, there will be a harvest. Spiritual produce takes time to grow. Instant church. You know how many people this church started with? None. Zero. Look what God has done. You know, there's a saying out there in the world of church planters, um, the instant church, the just add water church. You know, when you take 40, 50, 60 people and boom, there's a church. We are the evidence of the prayers of God's people. We are the evidence of God's faithfulness to continue what he has started. And notice, so then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. I want to start here with household. The family, the adopted children. Did y'all read the weekly email that came out Friday? Did anybody read the quote? Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. It is nothing other than what Jesus has done that unifies us. Because if it's something other than that, that's a unity that will not last. Notice it's not just any old household, but it's the household of faith. Here's the doctrine of justification by faith. Christian charity begins at home, but it doesn't stay at home. It starts in the house, but then it goes out into the neighborhood. Opportunity, back up. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Not every now and then, if we have time, if we get the chance. Rather, it's the word for the time or the season. 
and it refers to the urgency of the coming harvest. Now is the time of plowing and sowing. It's seed time followed by harvest. In Matthew 9, Jesus speaks of what? The, the, um, the fields, the harvest being plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he prays, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest for laborers. In John 4, Jesus looks out and speaks of the fields being white for harvest. And he speaks of the joy of both the sower and the reaper. Open our eyes and look around. Where are we? What do we see? Well, we see that there are many costs, but there are also great rewards. Children, this is important. The, the, the value of the harvest is always greater than the value of the seed. Think about that. You plant something that costs this much, and it does cost, and at the harvest time, you reap something that costs so much more. It's more valuable. There's an expectation here because the reward is primarily future. But there's a present experience. It costs now in the way of persecution and affliction. It's suffering first. And it's then glory. In terms of sowing and reaping, there's parts that take place that are invisible. Listen how Paul in Corinthians says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is looking forward. Here he's speaking of a looking forward to the harvest. However, even though the future expectation is predominant, there are glimpses of the future here in the present. What are they? Changed lives. Other people's lives, our own lives. Remember in Luke 15, Jesus says, There is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. In 3 John, John writes, He has no greater joy than to see his children walking in the truth. My friends, do you know what ministry success at Grace and Peace, or for that matter, any church, really looks like? You want to know what ministry success looks like? It looks like people coming to faith in Jesus and people growing in faith in Jesus. That's what ministry success is. Coming to faith and growing in faith. The laws of the harvest, the laws of sowing and reaping, what are they? I think you can characterize them as this. They are the laws of the gospel. Because there's a warning in verses 7 and 8. If you reject the gospel, you will reap destruction. As you're out sharing Christ with other people, you know, prepare to be rejected. 
knowing, know that you're offering them life and they are choosing death and it should move you to tears. But as we've seen, one of the laws here of the gospel is encouragement. The fruit of the gospel may come slow, but it will come. So how should we live here and now in view of the laws of the harvest? Well, we must not ignore or resist these laws, but rather accept them and cooperate with them. We must allow them, as it were, to govern our lives. However, think with me for a moment about the speed limit. Did anybody notice a speed limit on the way here? Anybody? That law can and is often violated. However, these laws of the harvest cannot be violated. Or can they? Because my friends, there has been one violation of the laws of the harvest, the laws of reaping and sowing. Well, maybe it's not so much a violation as it was a one-time suspension of the law by the lawmaker. Because there was a man who sowed nothing but good all day, every day. And this man reaped nothing but destruction for a time. This man was put to death so that we could be brought to life. This man was torn apart so that we could be put back together. Let's hear the scriptures speak. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes, we are healed. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God in His mercy and His grace has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Therefore, my friends, in view of God's provision for us in the gospel, let us sow to the Spirit, knowing that we will reap eternal life both here and now and forever. And while we wait, let us not grow weary Doing good to everyone. My friends, I'm in your homes. I'm in your places of business. We're all weary at times. We're all tired. We need one another to cheer one another on. To help one another. To bear one another's burdens. While we wait, let's not grow weary doing good to everyone. All people, especially to those who are of the household of faith, to all those who have received and are presently resting upon Christ alone for salvation as He is offered in this beautiful gospel of life. Let's pray. 
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for both this warning and this encouragement and this illustration from what we can see with our eyes as we look to gardens and farms and how they remind us of eternal spiritual truths. Oh, Father, would you be pleased to, to press these things into our hearts deeply? And Father, may we as a church not grow weary in doing good as we recognize that we only do good because ultimate good has been done for us through the person and work of Jesus. Oh, Father, help us to also rejoice in how this law, these laws were suspended for a time so that we could be rescued. Father, we thank you for Jesus, who in our place and on our behalf lived a life of perfect obedience and died the sacrificial sin-atoning death for us and our salvation. We give you thanks and praise in his name. Amen.